Good morning. It is the 16th of December, 2023, and we have some good words from Bishop Strickland and Cardinal Burke that we will go over here in a minute. I have just going to answer a couple questions that are in the chat. First is the, how am I doing? I'm exhausted. I haven't, I barely got any sleep last night, so this will be a pretty short stream. But um, the other quest, the other things I'm hearing is that there is a rumor being circulated that uh, Archbishop Vigano was conditionally consecrated a bishop for the Marian Corps, the SSPX resistance. There's apparently a video of it on YouTube. I would hold off believing any rumors about Archbishop Vigano until you hear something from it directly from him himself. Okay. That's the only thing I'll say, not because I have any distrust for any of the, from uh, father Chazelle or anybody like that. It's just, when it comes to rumors about Vigano, wait for Vigano to tell you himself. Um, and then I had somebody ask about the, the updates from the coalition for canceled priests or father Lavelle, nothing since the last video that I did. I expect they're going to be, there'll be more words between them, unfortunately. Um, but yes, so today we have, um, good words, I think from that were issued in the last few days from Bishop Strickland, who, uh, gave a short address to his brother priests on his website in the, in the form of a, not a, it's not on his YouTube channel. As far as I know, it's a, just a short letter to his fellow bishops. It gives a little bit of insight into the proper way to really think about addressing the state of the church. And I'm going to connect that also here with what Cardinal Burke said on the Feast of the Immaculate, or Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, rather, just a few days ago. He was offering Mass there, and during his homily, he, I have most of his homily here. The only part that I left out was like the parish announcements, basically part of the anomaly, which our homily, which was weirdly included in the transcript, but it is what it is. So, um, just wishing everybody a good morning in the chat. Once again, if there are people, generally if there are rumors about Vigano, wait for Vigano himself to tell you about them. He will either confirm or deny them. Um, I would just take any, I would be, I'm a little skeptical partially just because I know of somebody who was in contact with Vigano recently about something. And it, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like it would be uh, those two rumors would, would, would be uh, compatible with each other to put it mildly. So, but again, I could be wrong. Vigano will probably let us know if he, if that is the case one way or the other, especially if people start reporting on it. So here we go. We're going to start with the words of Bishop Strickland. This is a very, very short letter he gave to um, his fellow priests. And he basically asks people to uh, priests to send it out to everybody and translate it. So I'm putting, I'm not a priest, but I'm, there are priests in my, who are patrons and members and uh, people in the audience as well. I suspect as I have my suspicions that there are actual bishops also in the audience, but uh, for, I have my own reasons for thinking that. So here's Bishop Emeritus. He signs it as Bishop Emeritus, Joseph Strickland. So here's Bishop Emeritus Strickland's letter to his fellow priests. And then after that, we will talk about it briefly and then go over what Cardinal Burke had to say. My dear priestly brothers, as we begin a new liturgical year, I am compelled to reach out to as many of you as possible with a simple but profound request to join me in an important renewal of our priestly lives. I urge you to share this letter with every brother priest you can, even if it means translating it into another language. My hope is that Catholic priests around the world have an opportunity to join me in this renewal. You may ask, who are you to send such an audacious message along with the claim that it should be embraced by every priest in the Catholic Church? 
I am simply a priest and bishop who is devoted to our Blessed Mother and her Son, Jesus Christ, and it is through this devotion that I implore you to develop an ever-deepening life in our Mother and our Lord. Allow our Mother Mary, who gives us the grace to come unto him, to lead you to her Son in adoration. There you will be showered by the light of his Eucharistic face, which will lead you straight to his Eucharistic heart, and there too you will be accompanied by his Mother and her Immaculate Heart. I believe it is time that we become deeply Eucharistic and Marian priests, and that we set aside all the squabbles, confusions, and temptations to shape Christ's bride according to the world's will, rather than the will of God. I am reminded of the dream of St. John Bosco, in which he sees the bark of Peter, in desperate condition, with her only hope being a strong tether to the pillar of our Eucharistic Lord, an equally strong tether to the pillar of his mother and our mother, the Immaculate Virgin Mary. I encourage you to read St. John Bosco's vision of the two pillars. It speaks of our time. Brothers, my message is not about another program or some sweeping reform. It is about every priestly heart coming to know the sacred heart of Jesus in a transformative way. And the best way to a sacred heart is through his mother's immaculate heart. While the call to renewal is not complicated nor sophisticated, it will require each of us to lay down our lives for our Lord, who laid down his life for us. Should a priestly brother balk at this call, pray for him, nudge him, implore him to become a Eucharistic and Marian priest. I hope my heart will speak to your heart so that we might move together ever closer to his heart, the sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is there we find truth. Let us fall to our knees and pray, asking the Lord to guide us to a renewal of his bride through his priests. Signed, Bishop Emeritus Joseph Strickland. I I think it's worth reminding ourselves that the we are in a conflict with princes and principalities, which is a reference to demons, okay, and uh, their earthly servants. It's worth reminding ourselves of that because, as Bishop Strickland reminds us here, that it's in uniting ourselves to the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady and having her lead us to the Sacred Heart of Her Son that we will actually find this true renewal in the church that we seek. A reform of the church is desperately needed, but it's not going to come in the form of you know, chest, chest thumping and aggrandizing ourselves. It's not going to come in the form of separating ourselves from the fullness of truth, going our own way on things. You know, there are right now priests in the church who have to, you know, separate themselves in, a, in an informal way from the obe- obedience to their bishop and be temporarily independent and and we pray that that's a temporary situation for them, whether it's for a few years while we wait out the current storm in Rome, or if it's for longer than that, as, as in the case of the SSPX. But those all everybody I've mentioned is still united to the church. They're still in, in communion with Rome. It's just there's a family argument going on. And there's a great temptation many people have to step away from the church, to go seek the sacraments from the East or from, from other groups. And that's, that is folly. Instead, we should focus on the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady and the Sacred Heart of her, of her Son as our sure signs for weathering the storm. Now, Cardinal Burke had himself some other things to say about all of this because Gar- he, uh, he talks about Our Lady of Guadalupe, but he connects it directly to this uh, false solution to our problems that we're seeing peddled by, the, by Rome right now the synod of synodality. He corrects a lot of the errors coming from Rome and he does it in the typical, you know, 
very peaceful way that Cardinal Burke has of addressing these issues. And I'm going to let him speak mostly for himself here because it's he does a much better job at this than I could ever possibly do. So this is Cardinal Burke published like last night or yesterday afternoon on his personal website. This is the, most of the transcript of the, of the homily he gave for the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I say most of because I, I omitted the parish announcements part because, I mean, that's just not relevant. So it's relevant to the people who are there, not for our purposes. But here we have Cardinal Burke's address to on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe and really the errors of our times. Homily on the Patronal Feast of the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe by Cardinal Raymond Burke. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The cause of our joy today is the truth that the Virgin Mother of God, Our Lady of Guadalupe, announced to St. Juan Diego at the very beginning of her apparitions to him, from December 9th to the 12th of 1531. No, no, for sure, my dearest and youngest son, that I am truly the ever-perfect Holy Virgin Mary, who has the honor to be the mother of the one true God, for whom we live, the creator of people, the Lord of all around us, and what is close to us, the Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth. From the symbols imprinted upon her most beautiful garment, St. Juan Diego knew that she was with child, and from her words he understood that the child was the God, the Son incarnate in her womb. Carl Anderson, the then Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, and Monsignor Eduardo Chavez, renowned scholar of the Virgin of Guadalupe, in their book, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mother of the Civilization of Love, helps us to understand the power of the symbols and of Our Lady's words. Commenting on how Our Lady used titles for the Supreme Being from ancient pagan culture, for whom God was inaccessible and therefore unknown, to refer to her divine Son, they explain for us how the wonderful mystery of her divine maternity is symbolized in her most beautiful garment. Quote, in the apparition account, Our Lady of Guadalupe speaks of her son using these titles, him for whom one lives, creator of people, owner of the near and close, lord of heaven and earth. And yet it is absolutely clear that she is speaking of Christ. In the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, this takes shape as a magnificent enculturated evangelization through the positioning of the jasmine flower on the womb of the image, just below her pregnancy belt, thus identifying her child as divine. In this, the symbol of the four-petal jasmine shows the Indians that the omnipotent God is reachable by any human being. Not only is he interested in them, but he delivers himself to them. It is wondrous that this omnipotent God, the deeply rooted God, now comes to find and deliver himself to mankind through his mother. The cause of our joy today, the cause of our abiding joy, the cause of our eternal joy is Christ, God the Son incarnate, whom his virgin mother brought into the world and to whom she is ever drawing us, showing us he, seated at the right hand of God the Father in glory, is also with us in his holy church, which together with the Virgin Mary we rightly call Mother. Christ is the fulfillment of man's deepest desire, to know God and to love and serve him. Our Lady uses the ancient pagan language to show that Christ alone fulfills man's deepest longing. She does not reduce her divine maternity to the understanding of the pagans, but manifests the truth that the redemptive incarnation corrects, elevates, and perfects that understanding. Christ coming into the world is, as his public ministry shows, always the invitation to conversion of life. The first words of our Lord's preaching are, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In fact, we know that, subsequent to her apparitions, in a relatively short space of time, millions of pagans received the grace of faith and baptism. The Virgin of Guadalupe, the Virgin Mother of God, is the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, in the vision of St. John Apostle, the Evangelist. 
She has given birth to the male child, one who is to rule all the nations, the one who conquers Satan, the father of lies, with his program of violence and death for man. He is ever prowling about to see what souls he may destroy. But God the Son, born of the Virgin Mary, has defeated him forever. The Archangel Gabriel declared to the Virgin Mary the great truth about her divine Son at the moment of his conception. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. At the Annunciation, at the virginal conception of God the Son, the promise of God spoke through the prophet Zechariah was fulfilled. For behold, I come and will dwell in the midst of you. We through baptism are living members of the mystical body of Christ. God the Holy Spirit dwells within our souls, calling us daily to convert our lives to Christ, the mother of Christ, whom he gave to us as our mother when he was dying on the cross, is in her maternal love ever taking us to him with the words which he spoke to the wine stewards at the wedding feast of Cana, do whatever he tells you. At the time of the apparitions of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the missionary church in what is today Mexico was suffering seemingly impossible challenges. The violent conflict between the Native Americans and the Spanish explorers and settlers, and the diabolical practice of the sacrifice of actual persons on the part of the pagans. Our Lord sent Our Lady to show the way to order and peace in our personal lives and in society, namely Christ. Through her apparitions and her abiding presence on the miraculous tilma of St. Juan Diego, Our Lady of Guadalupe showed the bishop and the whole church that the way to overcome evil and to spread goodness is teaching the truth, praying at all times and offering all our love to God in sacred worship and practicing the truth in love. The church in our time faces similar seemingly impossible challenges. Human life itself, marriage and the family, and the practice of the faith are all under constant attack from a culture which refuses to recognize God and to submit in obedience to his commandments. Many today rebel against God who reveals himself to us through reason, and most fully and perfectly through the Catholic faith. The rebellion has beguiled even members of Christ's mystical body, leading them to abandon Christ and his way, leading them to apostasy. What are we to do? What is the church to do? Some, even among bishops, would tell us that the church has to change her doctrine, her sacred worship, and her discipline in order to accommodate the culture. They talk about a necessary paradigm shift or an ill-defined synodal way which declares that all are welcome in the church without making clear the conversion to Christ, which is necessary to be a member of his mystical body. They forget that the king of the parable of the wedding feast, who had welcomed all, the good and the bad, to the marriage feast for his son, when he saw, quote, a man who had no wedding garment, had the man cast out from the banquet. Our Lord concludes the parable of the wedding feast with the admonition, many are called, but few are chosen. Yes, our Lord wants all of us to share in the banquet of divine grace, but we cannot do so unless our hearts, one with the Immaculate Heart of Mary, rest in his most sacred heart, unless we allow ourselves to be clothed with him in our daily life. The way of the church in today's crisis is the same as it has always been. The teaching of the deposit of the faith and of all the riches of the Catholic faith, daily prayer and worship of God in spirit and in truth, and the good and holy knowledge of our time, Pope St. John Paul II cautioned us that we will not save ourselves and our world by discovering some magic formula or by inventing a new program. In unmistakable terms, he declared, now we shall not be saved by a formula, but by a person, and that assurance that he gives us, I am with you. He reminded us that the program by which we are to address effectively the great spiritual challenges of our time is, in the end, Jesus Christ alive for us in the church. He explained, quote, The program already exists. It is a plan found in the gospel and in the living tradition. It is the same as ever. Ultimately, it has as its center in Christ himself, who is to be known, loved, and imitated, so that in him we may live the life of the Trinity, and with him transform history until its fulfillment in the heavenly Jerusalem. 
This is a program which does not change with shifts of time and cultures, even though it takes account of time and culture for the sake of true dialogue and effective communication. In short, the program leading to freedom and happiness is, for each of us, holiness of life, in accord with our state in life and the particular gifts with which God has endowed us. Pope St. John Paul II, in fact, saw the entire pastoral plan for the Church and the holiness of life in Christ. He explained himself thus, quote, In fact, to place pastoral planning under the heading of holiness is a choice filled with consequences. It implies the conviction that, since baptism is a true entry into the holiness of God through incorporation into Christ and the indwelling of His Spirit, it would be a contradiction to settle for a life of mediocrity, marked by a minimalist ethics and a shallow religiosity. To ask catechumens, do you wish to receive baptism, means at the same time to ask them, do you wish to become holy? It means to set before them the radical nature of the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. It is to holiness of life in Christ that Our Lady of Guadalupe draws us leaving the ordinariness of our daily life to come on pilgrimage to her holy place, she manifests to us the extraordinariness of our daily living in Christ. Let us now, under the maternal care of Our Lady of Guadalupe, give our hearts completely to our Lord in His Eucharistic sacrifice. May the holiness of our union of heart with His most sacred heart, through the most blessed sacrament of the altar, shine forth in our every thought and word and action. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I think those are important words to hear. And it's good for us here as we are now past the halfway point of Advent. Tomorrow is Gaudete Sunday. One of the my favorite liturgies of the entire year is, is the high mass of Gaudete Sunday, typically accompanied with some of the most beautiful hymns. It's good to hear these things as we as we get ready to finish this small, softer version of Lent that Advent truly is. And as we get ready for the Christmas season, I'm going to remind people, by the way, in the final minutes of the stream, that we are approaching um, the Ember Days of Advent. That's Ember Wednesday and uh, Ember Friday and Ember Saturday. It's traditionally days of fasting and penance, uh, usually associated with uh, priestly vocations and that sort of thing. Also, e Christmas Eve is traditionally a day of fasting and penance, but the church never tells you. It will never command you to fast on a, any holy day of obligation, and every Sunday is a holy day of obligation. You're not to fast except before, of course, except for the Eucharistic fast, fasting before Mass. So the Church will never tell you to fast on a Sunday otherwise. So this year, the uh, traditional fast on of Christmas Eve is abrogated because it's on a Sunday. So, but the Ember Days are coming. You should consider observing them if you've never observed the Ember Days before. Like I said, I got very little sleep last night, so I'm going to wrap this up here in a minute. If there are any other uh, questions, if there are any questions in the chat, please let me know. Whip says in the chat that he can only access low mass. I have from where he's at. I, my, I'm actually uh, more drawn to a low mass anyway. Uh, I used to be strictly a high mass type, but then 2020 and all those events made me appreciate the low mass more. Plus, um, they're just better for my kids at this point, unfortunately. That's where I'm at as a parent. You know, the low mass is better for my kids. I, I look forward to when I can attend. We can go to high masses again and my kids are, you know, better behaved at that stuff. Um, they said never, they never announced the Ember Days in Nova Sorda. Well, on the new calendar, the Ember Days aren't there. They were, they were abolished with the new calendar. They are a traditional practice that goes back to antiquity. 
um, and they're on my 1962 liturgical calendar, and I have a 19 a pre 54 liturgical calendar somewhere here too, and it's on that as well. But the Ember Days are not on the new calendar, which is why they don't announce them ever. Ponto says he encountered a a priest with a lot of education in Rome, who didn't seem all that keen on Cardinal Burke. Eh, you know. As they say, many such cases. <laughs> As they say, Ronald Burke is often not the most popular of the bishops in Rome. It is what it is. This is why I, I'm usually skeptical when someone says that they think he has a very good chance of being the next pope. I'm skeptical because I know he's not he's not widely loved. Any any bishop who stands up and and speaks out against the things going on in Rome is not going to be terribly popular unless they do it. Basically, like Cardinal Mueller probably has the best chance out of that group, and he's a moderate's moderate, so I don't know if that would, you know, how great he would be for solving the problems we have. Um, all right, everyone, thank you for tuning in today. Share this on social media if you haven't. Today, I have my uh, it went on, it was made public about an hour or two ago on my channel. Was the the last installment of the St. Vincent of Laren's work, the combinatory, that document that Francis keeps quoting in literally a backwards way, inverting the meaning that the doctor of the church intended. I have the last piece of that. I've already got something that will probably replace it for next year, which might be this right here. We might be going with through St. Thomas more next year on, on weekends. Um, I don't know if we saw him or it'll be something else, but St. Thomas more is going to enter the cycle of, educational readings and things for next year. So that's, that's coming up. All right, everyone, you have a blessed Saturday. Go to confession today. If you haven't, if you have it available, um, beware of the Ember days because Ember tide is upon us and Gaudete Sunday is tomorrow. So I will plan to live stream tomorrow because there should be some really big news out of the Vatican later today. So that'll be tomorrow night, the usual, a little bit earlier than normal for a Sunday kind of live stream. Anyway, thank you for tuning in today, folks, and may God bless you all.